The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, trainings, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Diana Cohen, an artist and activist who, for the past 27 years, has used plastic bags as her primary material in order to explore plastic's relation to culture, media, and toxicity. She's also a co-founder of Plastic Pollution Coalition, a growing global alliance of more than 700 organizations, businesses, and individuals in 60 countries working to free the world from plastic pollution. Named as one of the top 10 spiritual leaders in the world today by Spirituality Health magazine, a profile of Diana Cohen appears in the November-December issue of the magazine. Diana, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Rami. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always exciting to talk to one of the top 10 spiritual leaders on the planet. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So I gather that was news to you. It's news to me. So let me tell you, as I was preparing for this conversation, a line from the 1967 film, The Graduate, kept running through my mind. And I'm sure you've been told this a million times. But let me just lay the scene out for anyone who's listening who doesn't know this movie. So it's a poolside scene celebrating the hero. Guy's name is Benjamin. It's his graduation from college. And a friend of his father, the character is named Mr. McGuire, pulls Benjamin aside and he says, I just want to say one word to you, just one word, plastics. There's a great future in plastics. Think about it. You've been thinking a lot about plastics, but I suspect the great future Mr. McGuire had in mind isn't panning out. What has the future of plastics turned out to be since 1967? Well, I mean, I think it started earlier than 1967, but really in the 50s, post-World War II, uh, I I believe that there was a big push to look at ways to retool factories that had been created to manufacture things that were used in the war effort materials that were used in the war effort, but specifically which were made from plastic. So there was a big effort within industry to retool those machines and begin to make and mass produce items like 
combs and eyeglasses and things that prior to really the inception invention of plastic and backlight in uh, earlier in the in the 1900s they had been made out of bone and wood and uh, metal or gold or silver and carved out of materials that were expensive materials so plastic really allowed this kind of um, freeing of and creation of materials and originally they were used and we created things out of them that were precious that were beautiful even jewelry you think of bakelite jewelry or beautiful old eyeglasses or beautiful old combs or mirrors or things like that the the mirror stands these were made to, and designed to to last for a long time and to emulate other materials again like ivory and metals and wood and tortoise shell and things like that that could be replaced with it um what ended up happening is really there was a big push that began in the 50s uh, to there was a cover and an article in Life magazine about how this concept, new concept of single use plastic were going to allow uh, the housewife to be freed from the constraints of the kitchen. And we could prepare things and then just throw away the materials that we'd use to eat them on rather than having to spend the time to wash them and reuse them. So that was really kind of this, this big boom of plastic. And it's led us into a time now where we became very disconnected. Um, and well, so I think it's a pretty remarkable material. Um, as we began to use it and specifically design things with intended obsolescence for single use and disposability, uh, that's when I think we really we really opened Pandora's box. So let me ask you a question about, I mean, I hadn't thought of it this way until you just sort of equated the early uses of plastic with beauty. I mean, they were trying to use, to replace bone with plastic and uh, other more precious material with, with plastic, but to create beautiful things that, that are not planned you know, with obsolescence in mind that you'd, you'd want to keep. I'm wondering, and just I'm just purely speculating and asking you to do the same. I'm wondering if, as our culture culture lost its sense of beauty, we also began drowning in in cheap plastics. And you think there's a connection with the beauty issue at all? Um, I don't think there's a direct connection with it. I think what happened is, I mean, and. You know, most people don't actually know that plastic is primarily made from byproducts of processing petroleum. So I think that as we developed into with the industrial revolution and utilizing fossil fuels and oil to create uh, energy and to propel all of the machinery that we were inventing and creating and building and our cars and our planes and our you know, how are we running all this technology? How are we generating energy, energy on the planet? Um, that This was a byproduct of creating that world, that modern world. And so it just started to scale up because it was a byproduct that prior to adding these groups of chemicals to it, like phthalates and bisphenols and chemicals that allow you to give plastic the qualities that we associate with something being plastic, uh, like supple, malleable, rigid, transparent, translucent, you know, or colored, or even adding metallic something to it to make it look like it's metallic, et cetera. 
until we were adding these chemicals and putting that material together into what we identify as plastic, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, so, well, let, let me let me jump in then. And because while you're listing those traits of plastic, I'm also thinking cheap, fake, phony. Oh, that person is plastic. I mean, something shifted in the culture's consciousness around plastic. And then I, I'm thinking about the art that you do with or that you, you did with plastic bags. Well, so when I initially started making work, I was working with brown. I had studied painting at UCLA. Then I was doing collage pieces and using brown paper bags that I was deconstructing and boxes and cardboard. And then I began to add plastic to that and stitching into it, sewing it by hand uh, as a kind of drawing element to my work. And as soon as I added the first plastic bag to a piece that had a botanical image of uh, a plant printed on the side of the bag, it was semi-transparent and it had the name of the plant in Latin. And I thought, this is so deeply ironic to print an image of a plant or a tree or a flower onto a plastic bag. And you might recall that when plastic bags first arrived, like in the late 70s, they became more prolific, like in the early 80s at least here in California at the supermarkets, you were offered this choice, paper or plastic. The idea behind take, accepting the plastic instead of the paper was that you were saving a tree. Mm. And that's really how it was marketed. But nobody thought about what the plastic was made out of, right? So right. I think that, you know, in working with the material for my artwork, these plastic bags come in all different colors. They have all kinds of images printed on them and text and fonts and um, sayings and logos. And I like to um, take those and kind of use them as a tool and shuffle them up and cut them up and put them back together and say different things with them and use bags that I have bags that friends have brought me from, uh, from Morocco. I have bags from India. I have bags from Southeast Asia and from other places where they have phrases or sayings or something's written in a different you know, it's written in Korean, it's written in Chinese. Uh, it's, I have a lot of bags from Japan. So I, I just started using them and mixing them together in a way to, to, I was really trying to create beautiful things when I first started working with the material and just finding it to be a very loaded material culturally. Um, and I mean, this was a story that I have. I went to go hear the Dalai Lama speak at Mountain View and in a, I think it was in 2000. And after I heard him speak, I came back to my studio and I made a piece, uh, which is traveling right now in an exhibition called Plastic Entanglements. It's just opened at the museum at um, the University of Oregon in Eugene, but it opened originally at Penn State at the um, Palmer Museum there. And the piece is called Post-Consumer Mandala. <laughs> and I was really, li I was listening to him for two days and then I went back and I looked at this material that I'd been working with and I thought, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with this material. This material is ubiquitous. We use it. It's so insidious. We use it in everything. You can look at the desk in front of you, the computer that you're on, your telephone and see bits and pieces of your, your car, a bicycle, like anything that we use will have bits and pieces that may be made out of plastic. And so it's this incredibly versatile material that has allowed us to, you know, lightweight things for 
the space program and aeronautics and, <laughs> you know, it's this amazing material. But I find in conversations with people from the plastic industry uh, that I have to have sometimes that, you know, I, I say I agree with you. Plastic is a valuable material. But if it's a valuable material, why are we designing things with intended obsolescence out of it? And why are we using it for single use and intended throwaway things? And so that's where beauty comes in to the picture in my thoughts, which is, isn't it more beautiful to serve your family or friends food on a real plate that's made out of ceramic or wood, or if you live in an environment or a culture which is, uses banana leaves or, you know, calabash or coconuts or, I mean, isn't that so much more beautiful an experience on, on a thousand different levels than eating something off of a throwaway plastic plate or, you know, polystyrene so plate? So, okay. I, I mean, I get that. I agree with that. I, I want to push back a little because I'm actually looking at a photograph of the post-consumer mandala and it is beautiful and I'm wondering and, and maybe I'm just hung up on this now that you know as as the objects were originally the plastic objects were originally beautiful then they went to planned obsolescence and the beauty disappeared I wonder if on some level your work with the bags the plastic bags is reclaiming the beauty inherent in this cultural construction the bags themselves and if that wouldn't be a catalyst over time for people to value plastic in a different way and then the beauty comes back in and i wonder if beauty can somehow act as a, a reclamation of its a, plastic's original value discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, well, that is definitely a concept that I, that I, spend time, I would say, I'm going to say meditating on when I make artwork, mm -hmm. because I really do feel that as an artist, when you are in the zone, you know, time takes on a very different sense and, and you are, you know, 
having this relationship with and meditating on the material and what you're what you're attempting to communicate and and what you're creating or putting together um, in what you're making. So I I do really think about it that way. And I also thought of the paintings that um, I was doing when I was working with oil paints or with watercolors. I was also looking at that. I did a whole series prior to working with the plastic and the paper bags of um, watercolor ink drawings of insects, of flies, horse flies and spiders um, that were very, very simple. It was one one spider or one fly in each image. And prior to that, oil paintings where I just focused on a lemon or <laughs> you know, just one specific object that had resonance for me. And I do think that as an artist, you one can have the ability to represent something to other people or the public and get them to have a, their own contemplation of of that uh, that lemon or that spider or that fly and mm. look at something that is mundane and reconsider the beauty that is in it. So that is a thread that has run through my thought process in different series of work that I've made over the last uh, 35 or 40 years. Yeah, it's. I think it's clear from the work that, that I've seen. I, I We're going to run out of time sooner than I would like. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the um, the coalition, the Plastics Pollution Coalition. I, I watched your TED Talk, and I, I mean, we, we don't have a lot of time. So very quickly, I mean, the coalition is dealing with the fact that uh, single-use plastic bottles and all kinds of junk is just choking the oceans and we've got these huge oceans of plastic floating around five major oceans if i remember what you said uh, accurately and it's it's like we it's it's like we created this stuff and now it's killing us and you have you, you talk about adding a fourth r to the three r mantra of reduce reuse and recycle and you say we should add the fourth r refuse so tell us a little bit about refusing to use this stuff so, I mean, I think it's important to refuse to use it. And we, we added that on to the front um, because it's not only choking the ocean and impacting um, the wildlife, both in the ocean and on land and birds and pelagic seabirds and sea turtles, et cetera. It's also bad for us. It's bad for human health, just literally from the get-go. And if you look at the entire chain from extraction and war to get these resources, which is petroleum, and then production and manufacturing use, and then immediate waste management issue. Is it buried in landfill? Does it get dumped in the ocean? Is it incinerated? Does it become particulate pollution? Is it put in some kind of waste to energy scheme, which also creates particulate pollution and turns it back into a small amount of oil or fuel again, which gets burnt? You know. It is literally toxic across the entire chain of its existence. And the chemicals, these additive chemicals, the phthalates and bisphenols, you might have heard of, oh, this is BPA-free or something like, you know, oh, well, then did they use BPB or BPC or BPS or BPZ? These chemicals have been identified, and particularly BPA, which has been studied the most so far, as an endocrine disruptor. So it disrupts our endocrine system. 
and it's been linked in humans to breast cancer, brain cancer, prostate cancer, lower sexual function, sterility, infertility, and to diabetes and obesity. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> what everything. I would say to you is before we even worry about cleaning it up, and it's interesting that there's now so much in the environment and in our oceans that it's coming back to bite us on the bottom. Right. Before we even get to that end of life of this use of this product or this packaging, I think it's really important to refuse it in as many ways as we can personally for ourselves and for our families and at our schools and in our place of business and the eateries that we go to or if we make food for other people as part of the work that we do and provide that to other people in the to-go packaging, straws, et cetera. All of this plastic stuff contributes to health issues. So, so that's a huge task. I'm going to end with, with one last question and, and see where you can take it. But, but you're, you're describing a very, very big effort. And then I'm thinking of just around the corner, we've got these inexpensive 3D printers that are going to make you know, printing in plastic all the more uh, popular. And people will just do their own thing and they'll throw them away. They'll make their own toothbrushes or they make their own heart valves and they'll just use them up or whatever they do. And, you know, I, I started the show with, with um, the 67 movie, The Graduate. At the same year as The Graduate, uh, Marty Ballin with Jefferson Airplane wrote Plastic Fantastic Lover. And there's this whole argument about what that song is about, whether it's a sex toy or he says it was about his stereo and someone else said it was his TV. I think today, Plastic Fantastic Lover is us, our humans that we are so in love with this stuff in the worst way, the way you just described, do you really think, and here's my question, do you really think we can actually do something about it? Or is it too late for us? No, I really think we can. I mean, here in California, the, the assembly just passed a couple, two out of six pieces of legislation and Governor Jerry Brown signed them into law. Straws only served upon request and to make a change, which is a reduction in plastic pollution when it comes to to-go packaging at eateries. So we're, there are other, there's other pieces of legislation that involve uh, measurably reducing plastic through policy and legislation around microplastics and microbeads. And we need to push on every different level that we can to create a reduction of the stuff and ultimately a reduction in production of it. Because it's bad for our health, and it's it's bad for human health, it's bad for animal health, uh, and it's bad for the environment, it's bad for the ocean, and, and it's bad for the air. It's bad for our planet. The way that we use it and burn it up and discard it doesn't work. It's a system that doesn't work. And for all of those reasons, I wake up every day and feel very hopeful. There are a lot of young people who are driving this change right now and 200 of them or, or 150 of them are going to attend the Our Oceans Conference in Bali and in Indonesia at the end of October and represent. And there's just wonderful innovation going on. There are wonderful alternative products that people are developing and marketing and trying to bring to scale. And I think that as we begin to open our eyes and learn and understand this problem, uh, we will be able to make smarter plastic-free choices and will help contribute to uh, the plastic-free world that I'd like to see us live in. So I, I don't believe that it's a material that we will never use. 
But I think that it's a material that we need to really have a big shift in the way that we are currently using it because it's not it's not tenable. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, but I'm glad you're optimistic. It leaves us with some with some hope. Our guest today was Diana Cohen. She's an artist and co-founder of Plastic Pollution Coalition. Uh, Spirituality and Health magazine named her one of the top 10 spiritual leaders in the world today, and a profile of her appears in the November-December issue of the magazine. For more information on her work, you can visit her website, uh, dianacohen.com, and where she is at the moment, the Plastic Pollution Coalition, is their website is plasticpollutioncoalition.org. Diana, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Thank you, Rami. It's an honor, great honor. <laughs> well, thank you. Support for this show comes from the National Wellness Institute, committed to providing the tools, training, and resources to propel your career in wellness. Become a member today at nationalwellness.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour, part pilgrimage, as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites we will visit, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com backslash holyland hyphen with hyphen Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log in to spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and to download the iTunes app for this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker, and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan-Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.